So I am going to be the, uh, giving the penultimate message in our One Samuel series. So we're nearly at the end, which is very sad. Um, so I'm, we're nearly at the end of the book, and um, I'm just going to be looking at um, a story that happens at the end of it. If you're asking, who's Samuel? Why is there only one of him? Um, what are we talking about? Um, then we've been going through um, a book in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is stuff that happened before Jesus appeared. Um, and um, we believe that everything that happens in the Bible is not only true at the time, but true for us now, that the truths contained within it um, can speak to where we're at in our lives, that the same God that spoke these words then is the same God that speaks to us now. Um, so even though the story is a little bit odd sometimes, the truth in them are um, they're just beautiful. So I'm going to have a look at those. Um, so at the moment, um, David, our hero, is living with uh, the enemies of the people of God which is not really the best start. Um, he's in a little bit of a pickle, shouldn't really be there, but he's ended up there because he's been pursued by a murderous madman, and um, he's basically stuck living amongst these people. To make matters worse, um, these people who he's living with are going to war against the people that he's been promised that he's going to be king over. It's a pretty awkward situation to be in. Obviously, it's not going to be ideal if David fights with these people, but he's living a lie there, pretending that um, he's part of this enemy group. Um, at, so he's really kind of on his way to fight. Luckily, though, or not luckily, because um, God intervenes, he gets given a way out, and is told to go back home to where he lives in like this big enemy area, in the home that he lives called Ziklag. There you go. So he's on his way back from where the people are fighting, and he's making his way with this bunch of people who he leads, um, back to his home. And probably at this point, David's feeling pretty low and wondering really what's going on, because as I've just said, he's been promised that he's going to be king over these people. Um, but at the moment, he's living so far away from them, there's not really any clear sign of what God's doing in his life. And the plan really doesn't look how David expected it to. But just a little spoiler, God hasn't forgotten about David. He's working in his life, even in this bizarre situation, um, and he's going to work out everything for David's good. So as he makes his way back, um, he begins to notice that um, things are not really as they seem. And he gets closer to the camp, they realize that um, they're arriving back to a scene of utter devastation. So the camp, that, the place that they live has been burned to the ground and all of the people and things and everything worth having in that place has been taken. David's family is gone and all the family of the people who he is with at the time have been taken. And this is probably safe to say that this is an absolute low point of um, David's life before he becomes king, which is really saying something. If you've been here the last <laughs> few weeks, he has a rough old time of it. Um, but this is probably the absolute low point for David. So what does he do? Um, so in verse 5, we read, oh, in verse 6, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. So, <laughs> as if things couldn't get any worse. <laughs> 
because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. In verse 4, it says, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And here we see an example from David of what it looks like to be brutally honest with God, which is something we see in David's life through, like, just throughout his life. He is an amazing example of honesty. It's a pattern that we see again and again and again in the songs that he wrote, which are called the Psalms. Just a little example for you. In Psalm 142, he says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. And in another, another Psalm, he says, I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out, and my throat is parched. And these aren't just like two examples I've had to like search the whole Psalms for. They're just everywhere. Passages like this where David is just pouring out exactly how he feels to God. Sometimes it looks like anger. Sometimes it's utter despair. Sometimes it's frustration or sadness. He often asks God where he is, why he isn't answering him. Um, why he's allowed all these terrible things to happen, and he really doesn't hold back. For someone that knows God so well, he's pretty blunt with him and doesn't feel fearful of coming to God and um, telling him exactly how he feels. And I believe that we have these psalms, these examples um, of what it looks like to be honest with God because God wants us to be honest with him as well. And these songs give us permission um, to come and pour out our hearts to God. When we come to him, he doesn't just want us to bring the religious part of ourselves, the, the things that we feel that we should say, the things that a holy person would say or um, a maturer version of ourselves might say. He doesn't want us to hide the messy, confused parts of ourselves or um, sugarcoat what's going on in our hearts, even if it doesn't look very good. The Father wants us to bring to him our whole selves, our pain, our confusion, our doubts, and our questions. He wants honesty like David's because he wants our hearts. When he came to win us to himself, he wasn't just winning for himself a religious group who would just do everything he said to the, to the letter and please him. He was looking for people to have a relationship with, who would know him well, who he would know. He was looking for friends. And he longs that we live a life of honesty, lived walking with him in all situations and circumstances of our lives. I wonder if, hearing that, you, you think that, oh, it's a bit of an inconvenience, really, because emotions are messy, and they get in the way of us getting on with stuff, um, because they can be a hindrance to productivity and doing things well. Or maybe you are prone to thinking that emotions like David's expressing here are actually a sign of immaturity. That if we were stronger in the Lord and if we knew his truth more, or if we, if we were stronger, that we wouldn't feel these things. That we'd just go straight to the truth and we'd speak the truth to ourselves, and we just get on with it. I think when we feel like that, and I think we can all be prone to feel like that, 
It's so encouraging to look at the life of Jesus. As Jesus was so human, uh, he was the most human human that ever lived. I think maybe it's easy for us to think of him as this kind of like untouchable, serene superhuman that just like floated above the earth and was never affected by anything. Maybe it's not helped very much by like Renaissance paintings of him <laughs> looking serenely in his white clothes. He never got dirty with his halo. And you look at pictures like that and you wonder if he ever had a bad day. But actually, the truth, it really couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus emptied himself of his total power and his security with the Father and became vulnerable as a human. And he subjected himself willingly to all the pain and the mess and the brokenness of our lives and that the world throws at us. As G. Walter Hansen put it, Jesus felt compassion. He was angry, indignant, and consumed with zeal. He was troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, deeply moved, and grieved. Jesus sighed. He wept and sobbed. He groaned. He was in agony. He was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly and was full of joy. He greatly desired, and he loved. Jesus lived a truly, fully human life, partly to teach us how to live a truly human life, how to engage with the things going on around us in honesty, to process things vulnerably and not keep things buried in, but to talk about them. I was thinking about how, how we know these things about Jesus, how he, how he was feeling. It's because he talked about him. And then people wrote them down in the Bible. But we, we know that Jesus talked about these things to other people, so we know that he talked about them to the Father because everything Jesus did came from his relationship with his Father. I encourage you, when you're reading the Gospels, when you're reading about the life of Jesus, watch the way that he relates to the Father. Watch the way that he will go off, at every, like, often at every available moment, even when it seems pretty inconvenient. <laughs> to go and get alone with the Father and to talk to him and to be honest. And Jesus did those things as well to teach us how to have a relationship with the Father, to show us what it looks like to live honestly in relationship with him. It's not unattainable. Nothing in Jesus' life is unattainable for us. That's why he emptied himself, to show us that everything that we do comes from the Father, not from things inside ourselves. I wonder if when you think about coming to God like Jesus did and being honest with him, like truly honest, that we can feel the fear of being rejected or the fear of being misunderstood by him. I think it's easy to feel that we, if we come to him and we're really honest with him, that he will think of us differently, that the facade that we have so wonderfully kept will be shattered and that maybe he will be disappointed in us. I wonder if we can be prone to thinking that maybe he will regret having loved us so much or regret choosing us in the first place. It's, I sometimes think it's a little bit like if we come to a, a boss who maybe we're a little bit afraid of. And the things we say and the things we do are to try and keep our position in our job. 
So the things we say we, we have to know are going to be accepted. So we are careful to say the right things, but we don't come to a boss. We come to a good father. We are accepted before we even open our mouths. And nothing that we say to him, nothing that comes out of them can change that. The father will never misunderstand you. And he is entirely unshockable. He is relentlessly patient and he is endlessly kind with the mess of our lives. He knows the very depth of your experience and he is not phased by your humanness. Maybe we feel that it is easier not to be honest with God, whether or not it's less painful, because we don't know if he'll be able to deal with the consequences, or if we'll be able to deal with the consequences of digging all of this stuff out and getting it out there. Um, sometimes it's easier if things are buried to just kind of carry on and not think about them and not talk about them, but um, I guess there's this feeling, even with the Father, that once we've said it, it's kind of out there, and now God's got it. And what's he going to do with it? What's he going to do with us? But I want to encourage you that we can trust God with everything that we give him. When we give him our hearts, when we give him our circumstances, when we give him our pain, he will take care of them. In Psalm 56, verse 8, it says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. He's very gentle and very careful with our lives and with our hearts. He doesn't misplace things. He doesn't forget about things that we've said. And also, I think it's so encouraging that he doesn't hold us to things that we've said either. If, um, if God held David to everything that he said in the Psalms, then I'd, I don't know what David's life would have looked like, but he is more than capable with sitting down and listening to us have a rant. And I, I really believe that he, he loves it when we come to him and we're honest with him, even if the things we're saying are not very good. You know, that our anger towards God or our frustration towards God he would much rather that we do that than we grumble against him in our hearts. Um, I think it's what the Israelites often did. <laughs> um, they didn't come to God with their frustrations. They talked to one another. Why hasn't he given us any cucumbers? It's much better in Egypt. It's, it's such a different thing to what we see in the Psalms, which is looking at God and talking to God about these things. He really can handle it. So, David has, and the people around him, have wept until they have no more strength left to weep. And then we read this. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So, his strength is utterly spent in weeping. And then there's this shift, and we see that he finds new strength from the Lord his God. And again, this is the same pattern that we can see in the Psalms. Um, often in these songs where um, David is pouring out his pain and despair, we see kind of in the same breath, with the overflow of emotion, 
And then this shift where David strengthens himself and he starts speaking truth to himself. In Psalm 42, David says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I know that at this point, some of you will be like, ah, great, the truth bit. Um, If you are a fixer, if you like to know the solution to your problems and getting to it and sorting things out, then this bit will be um, maybe much easier to hear than the stuff about sitting down and weeping. Um, But I want to remind you again to look at the way Jesus deals with desperate situations in his life when he um, comes to the grave of his friend Lazarus, he knows that he's coming to raise him from the dead. He knows that he has complete authority over sickness and death. And he knows that in a f- just in a few minutes, he will be with his friend again. Yet we read that Jesus wept when he came to the tomb, when he looked around and saw the grief and the pain that this death had caused. He stopped and he wept. And then he raised him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is crying out in pain to God about the turmoil that he's about to experience on the cross on our behalf, he, he actually goes three separate times to the Father and says this same prayer, like, Lord, please take this away from me. And he, he talks about being greatly distressed. He knew what he was going to do don't think we ever really have a shadow of a doubt that he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to the cross. But what we don't see is a steely, up, stiff upper lip resolve. He was, pain, he was pained about it, and he talked to the father about it. And I really believe we are only able to strengthen ourselves in the Lord when we've acknowledged and identified why we need strengthening in the first place. And so for that reason, I think that we, you can't jump straight to this step, okay? <laughs> so, David strengthens himself in the Lord, and we don't see much about behind the scenes of like how he actually does that. But in the Psalms, we see um, lots of examples of how David does that. And what we see a pattern of is him saying how he feels and then actively remembering things about God. He says, like, this I call to mind. And then he just lists things that are true about God. And in his place of the space that he's created in his heart of just openness with God, he then pours truth that he knows about God into that. He chooses to remember who his God is. David knew God personally. He had quite an outstanding relationship with God for someone in the Old Testament. He just, he knew God so well. God spoke to him directly. And he was able to just bring to mind truth after truth after truth about the nature of God, that he is mighty, faithful, steadfast, a shield, a rock, and a fortress, a kind king, a loyal friend, and a loving shepherd. And when we... When we are in good times and, or just normal times learning about the truth of who God is and it feels a bit dry sometimes or like you're just going through the motions and you don't know what your 
achieving. Remember that whenever we feed ourselves with the truth of who God is, it's like we're storing up things for these times that we can call back to mind things that we've learned about God. It's a bit like we're squirrels saving up for the winter. And maybe the, you know, the squirrel would... I actually haven't planned this, so now I'm just talking about squirrels, but <laughs> I'm going to go with it. Maybe the squirrel would think, oh, I don't really know what the point of all this like, collecting is. Not really getting the benefit of it at the time. But in the winter, I'm sure that squirrel is really happy to have that resource of nuts. <laughs> I think that's quite good. <laughs> um, another thing David remembers is what God has done for him. And he remembers what God has done for his people, for the people of God, and he remembers what God has done for him personally in his own life. He remembers the history of his people that God called them out of years of agonizing slavery in Egypt and led them through the sea itself into a promised land into freedom, and into relationship with him. And you can remember battle after battle after battle that looked like the people of God were really not going to do so well, and then God delivers victory into their hands. And from his own life, David can look back even to when he was a teenager and remember the times that God saved him from the hands of or the mouths of lions and bears, of the time that he defeated Goliath, and the time after time after time that God delivered him from the hand of Saul, running up and down the hills of the Middle East or wherever they are. And we can remember what God has done for us as a people, that he too led us out of slavery to sin and into a promised land of freedom and relationship with him. We can remember that Jesus came to become a child of men, that we might become children of God. And we can remember things that he has done in our own lives, personally. The, the power of our testimony, um, the truths of what God has done for us, we can't deny them because they're true for us. Um, I encourage you to recall them, to think back over the years of um, what God has done for you. And David also remembers who he is in God. He remembers that he was chosen from obscurity, uh, chosen to be king, and promised an absolutely outrageous future of blessing. And we too can remember who we are in God and bring that to mind like David. We can remember that we too were chosen from obscurity, crowned with new life, and promised a similarly, out, actually much better, outrageous future with him, dwelling with him in perfect relationship forever. This is why we choose songs to sing here at Grace um, about what God is like and what he's done for us. And we were strengthening ourselves in the Lord just half an hour ago when we were worshipping tonight. Cue the band. <laughs> David calling to mind all of these things about God didn't mean that he was suddenly denying how he was feeling or what was going on and that he was just like, right, I'm just going to get on with it. He was allowing the truth of God to speak into how he was feeling. 
and he held them both in this kind of tension um, his whole life. But David always chose to pursue a heavenly perspective for what he was going through. He never let his emotions or just his situation or circumstances have the final say on what was going to happen. David, as we've seen, had the opportunity to see his situation as a sign that God has abandoned him. But he always chose not to believe the lie that God had abandoned him. And he chose not to see his situations as, as signs that he was now alone. I don't know if you feel like you have all these things going on and you don't even really know where to start. And it feels like it's going to be a long battle and you don't even really know how to get to the battle in the first place. But if you feel like that, please know that you have won a victory as soon as you turn to God and open your mouth. As soon as you choose to pursue a heavenly perspective in your life, then you have won a battle. I remember when I first read this passage, when I found out I was going to preach, I was just reading the... Um, the narrative of what was going on. I was like, this is awful. What's going to happen? And as soon as I read, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, I just had a like, ah, it's going to be okay. Whatever happens now, I know it's going to be okay for him. And I just encourage you tonight to turn to him and choose in whatever your situation is to believe the truth that he is good and that he is still God. We're just going to sing the song. We're going to sing now. Just sing. <laughs>